Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Eurovision Rewind, Rewind podcast, the podcast that takes a retrospective look at the Eurovision Song Contest of the past and the years in which they took place. My name is Jonathan. Are you there, Alice? <laughs> oh, sure. I guess, yeah, we'll have a guest. I'll, I'll go second. I'm Alice. Hello. We have special celebrity guest star, Quinn. Hi. None of that's true, but I am Quinn. <laughs> yeah, this is our friend Quinn. Villain's out of town this week, so um, we... We thought that Quinn would be more than worthy uh, replacement for this week. <laughs> I really appreciate details, that. For more details about Melon being out of town, go check out the 304 Voices that, when this is live, will have gone up last Monday. I really appreciate that intro, Jonathan, but before you got here and Alice and I were just sitting on Discord, I spent like 10 minutes like telling him how much I could not, re- I could not compare to Melon. <laughs> <laughs> of so, course you can stop <laughs> oh my goodness well you know i have feelings about the year 1998 and that's all that matters right that is all that matters and before we get into all that i just wanted to plug the patreon up top really quick so we do have a patreon it is patreon.com slash vocab gumbo and uh the first two months of proceeds that that we'll receive will donate directly to a black lives matter organization locally um and all and those organizations will be matched by every member of Vocab Gumbo, which includes myself, Millen and Ellis, and Sam over at Three Out of Four Voices. Yeah, keep signing petitions, keep donating, keep using your voice, and keep protesting if you're able. I don't know. So, uh, I don't know if yeah. I can do this because I'm not really part of the company, but I wanted to throw my hat into the ring and say I'll also match. Oh, awesome! For the, for the sake of Vocab Gumbo and Black Lives Matter. Love that. So you heard it here first. Your donation will be matched. Now five times instead of four. That's a lot of times. So Quinn, what did you what, what did you want to say about 1998? Oh, I just noticed that previously in other episodes, you were like 19 some 1988 2003 was the year of this, and I noticed that 1998 was the year of the Monica Lewinsky scandal. It was also the year that Whoa. Viagra was approved by the FDA for erectile dysfunction. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's a funny correlation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally forgot. Before we get into 1998, we got to talk about our song of the week. Hell yeah. Um, who wants to start on it? I'll go. I realize now that it probably would have been a cool thing to get a song from 98, but instead I have a song from 99. Uh, I went for Feeling for, uh, Feeling for You by Cassius. Cassius. It's awesome. It's French touch. It's really good. Uh, Rip Zadar. But it, the, uh, this song, it's so good. It's a bop and a banger. It's its very good. Lovely. Um, my song that I chose was Lord of the Thighs by The Breeders. <laughs> um, so it's a cover of an Aerosmith song. The, the Aerosmith version is just kind of like this sort of like predatory, misogynistic kind of like male gaze vibe. But um, it's sung by the bassist of The Breeders, who's a woman. And it kind of goes from like the Aerosmith vibe to this weird like lady serial killer vibe because like the lyrics are about like admiring someone from afar and like being obsessed with their thighs it's interesting I, th- oh, I thought it was funny. really funny and the breeders are one of my favorite bands of all time so like to plug them when I can how about you Quinn um I was going back and forth on a lot of songs because couldn't really figure out but I think I'm gonna go with the Maccabees cover of Despacito um, the Maccabees are an American Jewish acapella group. Um, oh, what's that one? <laughs> yeah, who, like, of, like many years ago, got 
famous on YouTube for like a parody of the song Dynamite that was about Hanukkah. And they, but they've been mu- they make music up to this day, and they made a cover of Despacito in Hebrew, and it was like ma- it was like made for like a Jewish religious context, and it's like not even the song that defines me or defines how I'm feeling now, but it's a it's a bop if you want to feel like you know the world the world is big and you are small and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's, so that's a good sound bite. The world yeah, I, the world is big, you are small, and that's okay. Oh, there's so many there's also I Like Giants by Kimia Dawson, that's about exactly that. But um Long Walk for a Short Drink of Water, everyone should watch the uh Maccabees cover of Despacito in Hebrew. I love that. And speaking of Hebrew language bops, we've got them hey, in uh, the Eurovision Song Contest 1998. Segue. Pew pew pew. Shall we get into it? Yeah, let's. All right. It's been 22 years and we can't stop thinking about 1998. In February of that year, the Nagano Winter Olympics were in full swing and Titanic became the first movie ever to gross $1 billion. Unrest was not uncommon too. The Serbian police killing 16 members of the Kosovo Liberation Army and 26 Kosovo Albanian citizens. The Ued Buaisha massacre occurring in Algeria, which resulted in the death of 52, 32 of which being under the age of two years, and the Second Congo War beginning. Also in 1998, African-American James Byrd Jr. was murdered by three white supremacists in Jasper, Texas, and Matthew Shepard was killed as the result of a homophobic hate crime in Laramie, Wyoming. Google Incorporated was being founded, and Madonna released her four-time Grammy Award-winning album, Ray of Light. Rob Halford of Judas Priest came out as gay to the press, and Bill Clinton was impeached for lying on oath. Outside of Earth, Japan launched its first probe to Mars, space shuttle Endeavour, launched the first American component from the International Space Station, the Unity model, and NASA's Clementine probe discovered that there is enough water on the moon to support a human colony. In the world of politics, the Good Friday Agreement was signed by the British and Irish governments. At a conference in Rome, 120 countries voted to create a par- uh, excuse me, a permanent international criminal court to prosecute individuals for genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and the crime of aggression. Hugo Chavez was elected Venezuelan president, and politician Mitt Romney was found to have been offering bribes during the 2002 Winter Olympic bidding process for his campaign for Salt Lake City. We welcomed into the world Khalid, XXX Tentation, Bindi Irwin, <laughs> Jaden Smith, Jamie Lee Kruitz, Sakura Miyawaki, and Juice World, while we said goodbye to Stokely Carmichael, Florence Griffith Joyner, Louis Melu Jones, Frank Sinatra, Pol Pot, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, Shinichi Suzuki, and Sonny Bono. Entertainment thrived in 1998, with Angoon's debut album becoming the most successful album by an Asian artist outside of Asia, the first VH1 divas being broadcast, Seinfeld airing its last episode, Horns Follow the Leader becoming number one on the Billboard charts and going five times platinum, and Interscope Records paying a Portland, Oregon radio station $5,000 to play counterfeit Violent Biscuit 50 times. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of music, a most exuberant and momentous occasion took place on May 9th, 1998 in Birmingham, England, the Eurovision Song Contest. Let's get ready to look back at the year that was, 1998. Thoughts and feelings? Weird year, but they all are, I guess. Yeah, um, definitely. Also, I know you did that Portland reference for Ellis. I also thought Ellis would find it clever that... Um, the former professional wrestler Jesse Ventura was elected governor of Minnesota in right, 1998. Jesse Body Ventura. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's actually Ellis's world and we're living in it. 
I was, oh, oh. man. Yet another uh, episode goes by where I am unable to avoid wrestling references. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also, um, last week we talked about the um, European Hot 100 singles chart. Mm, yes. Yes, and um, I found all the, the songs to go number one on that in 1998. There were only eight of them this year. And they were Barbie Girl by Aqua. Together, oh, God. Yep. Together Again by Janet Jackson. My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. La Copa de la Vida, The Cup of Life by Ricky Martin. Ghetto Superstar, That's What You Are by Pras Michel featuring Dirty Old Bastard and Maya. Life by Desiree. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith and Believe by Cher. Just kind of old, dirty bastard. Just Actually, when I was in high <laughs> school. Wait, what did I say? You said dirty old. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> that's not what I meant to say. When I was in high school, I was taking poetry class and my my poetry teacher had like a fit because one of her favorite poems and what would become one of our favorite poems started with dear old dirty bastard i too like it raw <laughs> and like it's a great poem highly recommend forgot the name of the poem but she like had a class a like hour and a half long fit because nobody knew who old dirty bastard was and we had to like go and find out gotta yeah oh, that's funny <laughs> yeah, and also one thing that i thought was funny too was um Ellis, you watch Big Fat Quiz, right? Oh, yeah. Do you remember the one? I forget which one it was, but um, it was the one with Ashling B and Kath, uh Oh, Kath yeah, the one where the they team. were in the matching tracksuits and had the dogs. Yeah, had the dogs. Um, yeah. In that episode, um, they talked about the song that was voted like the worst song to ever top the UK charts, which was actually Life by Desiree. Okay, I don't remember that bit. But... Oh, okay, it was um, the song, like the, the lyrics were like, I don't want to see a ghost. That's what I fear the most. I just want to eat some toast. <laughs> you remember this <laughs> vaguely yeah but that, that was 98 that was 98 yeah and oh, it um man. topped the, the the european chart later in the year <laughs> that's unfortunate my heart will go on by celine dion topped the chart because that was the year titanic came out right yeah or the year after i think oh you're it's right it's funny we keep having like connecting threads between episodes because the first two it was an iceland start this this one is celine dion Celine Dion Icelandic. No, uh, Celine Dion uh, represented Switzerland in 88. I was about, I thought I was going to have a really stupid moment that I was going to ask you to cut out because like everyone knew Celine Dion was from Iceland and I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's from fucking French Canada, but Switzerland nonetheless. So you can represent a country. It's like the Olympics. You can represent a country that you're not from. Yep. Okay. I really wish we took this opportunity to gaslight Quinn into believing that Celine Dion was from Iceland <laughs> and everyone knew it. <laughs> also, um, uh, yeah, Music Has the Right to Children by Boards of Canada came out this year, which is one of the greatest albums of all time. So uh, I've never heard yeah. of it. I'll give it a listen. All right, unless there are any more thoughts on 1998 at large, are we ready to get into the the Eurovision? I think it's funny that you say the Eurovision because I watched the, the Terry Wogan commentated version and he was calling it the Eurovision the entire time. Yeah, I know, time. same. I have some good sound bites from oh, God. from Terry Wogan. I'm excited. So anyway, yeah, uh, the 1998 Eurovision Song Contest in Birmingham, England, hosted by Terry Wogan and Eureka Johnson. Eureka? Who knows? I don't know how to say it. Um, but yeah, should we start with the first song? Yeah. yeah. Oh, also, just before we start, they mentioned in the intro spiel that this is the first year that they did a televote. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it was the first year that the, that the televote was the standard because I think 
I think in um, 1997, some countries did, but the the norm was, yeah. So um, in 1997, one, two, three, five countries used televote, and then the rest, which were 20 others, used the jury. Um, and yeah, the 98 contest was the first one where the majority of countries used the televote, only four did not. I thought it was also funny that this received some strong negative reactions from the crowd. Oh, really? Yeah, there was like, it wasn't big, but there was definitely a small cadre of people that were really upset about this and were jeering. And one of them got in a a tongue lashing match with Terry Uh Wogan. Oh, okay. Oh, I I remember this. Yeah. He had words with Terry Wogan. So, what was their reason for hating the televote? That beats me. Okay. I don't know. Power to the people is what I say. (laughs) Power to the people. Yeah. Oh, and also one thing to note is that this was the last year that they had an orchestra. Mm. Oh, yeah. And all the years that followed, they only used backing tracks. I came across this when I was looking for uh, decent quality recordings of songs from 88. But there's a, a channel on YouTube that is entirely devoted to lobbying Eurovision to bring back the live orchestra. Yeah, so that was very entertaining. I thought so Hills too. Because... we decide to die on. <laughs> yeah, no, truly, that is a strange one to decide on. But um, I, I, th- I don't think that orchestras and live music really have a place in modern Eurovision as much as I love yeah, them. I would agree. Yeah. Does this mean we're moving on to song number one? I hope so. Bet. Alrighty. This is Croatia's Daniela with Nekamine Svane, which means May the Dawn Never Rise. I start on this one. Yeah, I this is one of my favorites of the entire contest. I I think this is just like the gold standard for any ballad, especially like any Eurovision ballad, because it it tells a cohesive narrative. It it's performed with a lot of charisma and stage presence and confidence and emotion. Mm-hmm. It has a really strong vocal. And it also has levels. It's not one note. It starts and it develops and you kind of like to see where it goes. I think it, I just think it's a really beautiful song too. And it does what a lot of songs fail to do is that some songs are in, in a language that is not English. You can't really understand what they're talking about or what they're singing about. But for this one, you can definitely tell that there's this narrative of darkness going into the light because there's she has like the black cloak that she reveals into like this white dress. Which I thought was a cool moment because it wasn't like one of those outfits where like you could tell that there was something underneath it, so it was kind of a surprise. And yeah, I just think this is a really strong way to start the contest, and a lot of the ballads that follow it pale in comparison to this one. Mm. I thought I agree on some points, I disagree on others. I do think this is a good, like it's a good job of a Eurovision ballad 
I agree on that. I, I don't know if I would necessarily call it the gold standard, but it's definitely up there. I really, I love the costume change because it gave me a non-ballad fan, like a, ooh, costume change sort of moment. I don't think this was a good way to start because I don't think, I don't think that ballads work for opening shows. Because like the costume change was a nice moment in the opener, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the well of making wrestling references. But (laughs) when you... When you start a wrestling show, you don't want your first match to be like a long, drawn out, we're going to like ma- test of attrition match. You want something quick, exciting, and with a lot of action that like gets people into it. And then you can segue into that sort of thing later. And I think it's the same thing for this. Like, this would have been a much better second song than a first song, I think. I can see that. Yeah. Totally get that. First off, it makes sense to me being reminded that Celine Dion. And my heart will go on was so popular back then. And like the power <laughs> ballad was like a whole cultural icon that and because of that, like, I think we're going to see throughout this one, there weren't actually that many. So I think there were approximately three or four songs that could have met Ellis's standard of a proper intro because a lot of songs ended up being ballads with, you know, a lot of eye makeup and costume changes like there's legitimately like four songs i think that are upbeat and quick and exciting in 1998 which is okay you know that's that's how the year was um as for like my opinions on the performance um what i wrote down immediately was to me it's like this performance is like if Barbara Streisand had gone directly from starring in Yentl to starring in Evita, which she never, she never starred in Evita, but imagine if Barbara Streisand had starred in Evita directly after playing like a, a cross-dressing Jewish girl. Um, that's how I this felt. Is definitely, yeah, no, I definitely get Barbara Streisand vibes from this one. Yeah. I really liked the costume change. Um, I really wish I could move my hips the way that this woman is moving her hips. Um, (laughs) I guess this is like the general vibe of an English speaker watching Eurovision. But, um, if I spoke Croatian, I imagine I would be really touched, but I do not speak Croatian. (laughs) So I am almost touched by this performance. Right. Uh, the costuming was interesting. Definitely. I liked it. Yeah, for sure. How did you think this one scored in comparison to the other ones? I didn't, I once again was blocked from ranking all these because I watched these at like 2 a.m. last night. Um, I think it's going to be up towards the top, not like, I don't think it's going to crack the upper echelon, but I think it's going to be a solid like upper, upper middle, like powerhouse. I texted y'all last night as I was watching all of these because I have no idea still have no idea had no idea about what the rules of eurovision are or what happens so i texted y'all last night and asked if there was a theme they had to follow and if so was it that all of the women who sing have to be sad and wear a black dress um (laughs) and uh, so that's like a definite category of 1998 and i feel that this is in the upper echelon of women wearing black dresses singing sad songs yeah, because that, that that's like that's a 
a point of comparison thing too because it's like there's a is it a good song Eh, maybe maybe not but does it do something better than other songs that you're trying to do the same thing absolutely exactly like i i'm not actually sure how much i vibe with croatia's performance i you know it's it's different but or not it's not even different it's like what eurovision is but it is better than a lot of the other songs like it to me yeah the key question for me is does the song like actively make choices and are those choices good hmm. <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to some actually later. like the way sorry no no, no you're good go ahead way a lot of people who write poetry i I don't know why I made two poetry references already, but that that's exactly how people who critique poetry talk about it. Does does this seem like it's making choices and are those the right choices? Yeah, it's the same with like just like writing and a lot of art in general, I think. Because mm-hmm. um yeah, no, we'll get to some songs later. There are some songs who made definite choices that I didn't really like, but then for me, what's worse is that there are songs that just can't find any choices. I just you know, so I mean we'll get to those later, but yeah, did you ever say, Quinn, um, how you think this one might do? You said it was upper echelons. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, for the I have no idea how women. this is going to end, actually. Like, I have, mm-hmm. I have no idea how this will have been judged. Like, I have conspiracy theories, but I have no real idea. But I think, in my, in my opinion, this might be, like, top five or top ten. Okay, cool. Yeah, that concludes our thoughts on Croatia. Next, we're moving on to song number two, which is Greece's Alasa with the song Mia Krifi Evaisthesia, which means a secret illusion. Before we get to that, we are taking our first trip to Controversy Corner. Controversy Corner. Heyo! You know it. Um, so this one's this is a long one. So oh boy, bear with me. So um, composer of the Greek song Yanis Valvis was extremely overbearing during uh, the production of the contest during the rehearsals. He was very difficult and rude and and antagonizing when communicating issues he had with the BBC executing his vision for the camera work. He made a lot of unreasonable unreasonable requests, including this shot that would have required six different cameras to be on the lead singer Dionysia, but that wasn't possible because they didn't have six cameras. <laughs> that wasn't getting through to him, and he just thought that it was within their power to fulfill his request, but they were just choosing not to. And so that was after the first rehearsal. Every subsequent rehearsal, he um, was on stage for every rehearsal. You're not supposed, which as like a composer, like you're barely supposed to like be at the rehearsals, let alone be on stage. And um, that was expressed as a security issue. So um, he was told not to. <laughs> he kept doing it. And then the last time that he did it, after he was confronted by the head of security, he claimed that he was supposed to be playing bass on stage, but no one gave him his instrument. <laughs> He, um, at the official Greek press conference, he launched a formal protest against his treatment at 
Eurovision Song Contest. Oh my god. So after all that, after refusing to stay in the audience for the next rehearsal, he was banned from the arena and lost all of his accreditation. Yeah, so he was not able to enter the arena. He wasn't able to like go to the contest on the Saturday night. And I think that if he won, he wouldn't have been awarded as a songwriter. Jeez. Um, and um, I got a lot of this information from this documentary called Naked Eurovision, which was this documentary made and hosted by the lead singer of Right Said Fred, who <laughs> did the song I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt. <laughs> what? Um, and he was just backstage at um, Eurovision that year. And a big focus of this was just like like exposing the trials and tribulations of um, the Greek entry. But anyway, um, because of Giannis being banned from the arena, the Greek broadcaster threatened to withdraw from the contest altogether a few days before oh the contest God. was set to happen. It did not end up happening, but obviously Giannis was not there, and one of the guitarists for the band refused to perform on the night. That's why there was only one guitarist on stage. There were supposed to be two. On the documentary, um, they filmed him watching the contest from his hotel room, and he said to a journalist that he would protest his treatment by the BBC for the rest of his life. This would not be, And that quote, this would not be something that I will forget in 10 years. Oh my god! It's so not worth People. it for this song either. It, this, this. I mean, I'll let you get into it, but yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> Why do Eurovision people, like fans and producers and whatever, like pick the weirdest hills to die on? Yeah, that very that exactly. <laughs> you like what? I don't understand this at all. He could have okay, but that does about... make me have new feelings about the performance itself. What did? Yeah, what did you think about it in general? I felt, you know, that I had just texted you about sad women wearing black dresses and this was a sad woman wearing a black dress but like considering how much pressure she must have been under and the the drama you know the there's a lot of smoke on the stage there's a good bit of passion i don't mind the black dress like i think this is one of the better black dresses of the night like it's not special to me but i did enjoy it I wrote down, I am underwhelmed by discount Greek Debbie Harry. Oh. <laughs> oh, I said oh all of the women at this time must have wanted to look like Madonna. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah she's definitely too. got the hair. Um, I don't feel like it's Madonna from 10 years ago, because I, I mentioned in my recap that um, Ray of Light had come out, which was her, like, kind of, like, weird, like, hippie album. It's the, it's the good one. <laughs> it is a good one, that's true. I love Ray of Light. <laughs> I love Ray of Light, too. That's, like, the one... Madonna album that I kind of I enjoy as opposed to tolerate. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than Confessions of a Dance Floor. Just, just like. <laughs> um, but back to Greece, <laughs> right? <laughs> this one is just kind of lame. Like it's it's yeah. it, it's it's kind of a nothing song. It's not boring enough to be offensive, but it's not interesting enough to be good. And it's just like okay, sure, slow rock ballad nice next yeah kinda, yeah kind of sucks yeah no i had pretty much the same opinion in general i thought this was super dated because it was very the vibe of you know those like slow 80s rock hair metal ballads from the late 80s so i think this entry came about 10 years too late and um i wasn't super impressed by the voice and i, I did notice her dress also quinn i liked it <laughs> i i like the I like the instrumentation, I like the guitar, but it's impossible for me to like divorce that from the fact that this is such a dated entry for 1998 and that it's nothing really special. I mean, go back to the kind of like choices that I was talking about. I think this does make choices, 
Like it makes a choice to be a rock ballad, to have guitars. And that's a choice. And I like the sound, but ultimately it's pretty unremarkable. And considering the painstaking effort that went into it, it was not worth it at all. Yeah. It makes me think about the fact that, I don't know, especially for white performers around the world, especially for like specific types of singers, the requirements for quality of onstage performance were a lot lower 30 years ago. Yeah, I'm just thinking true. about like how how much like the current mu- music industry wants young performers to be able to like to like be acrobats who sing all of their own songs for 2 hours while like while dancing and while doing all of these things yeah that was, that's interesting um how did you I, I take it that you guys kind of thought that this would be lower end of the scoreboard yeah not that it's offensive i don't there i don't think there are any this year like there were in 1988 that were offensively bad um mm. which i mean marks um, to you 1998 uh, well um, i would pause at germany but i oh, think you, i knew oh. you and i were gonna disagree about germany <gasps> we'll, from the we'll, second... we'll get there yeah i knew Ellis we'll and get I there were and we are gonna disagree germany. you're right quinn yeah <laughs> we'll get there um i didn't think there were any this year that were offensively bad and so i think this is gonna get pushed down to the very bottom like just as a side effect of that how about you quinn i think the again like i put the first one from Croatia in the upper echelon of women with this vibe. And I think because Greece doesn't have anything new, then she'll be in the, in the uh, low rankings. All right. So instead, we're going to move on to song number three, which is France's Marie-Line with the song Uare, which means where to go. <laughs> start on this one um i'll take it i really like everything about this song except for the vocals i think like she's just a little bit off for a lot of it which is really a shame because like visually the whole thing's great i love the backing track it's this weird like dub reggae garage thing and a Um, trancey also yeah 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 it's not well a, a little bit. The vibe, um, the vibe was there. Yeah, there are more oh, no. later on, Kof Kof Israel, that are more trancy than this. Um, <laughs> but, like, I really, really want to like this song, but the vocals are lacking. So. I can see that. I didn't really notice the vocals that much. I wasn't super bothered by whether or not they were super strong or um, on the right note. That's definitely important, but I wasn't super bothered by it either way. Like unlike the first two songs, I think this is—I don't think this is a song that relies too much on vocals. And, and I, I agree with you that I really liked—I really did like the song. I think that the the kind of like backing instrumentation was really fun and of its time. And I don't know, it was a good vibe, definitely. And um, I kind of liked how, um, aside from maybe like tonal things, I liked how her voice sounded very kind of like forlorn and emotional. So I kind of could tell what she was saying, even if I wasn't paying attention to the lyrics. And I thought it was performed really well. I think that having the band on stage added a lot to it. And yeah. she was moving and grooving. And, and it's 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 really bad to, it depends. But for a song like this, you can't really stand in one place. And she didn't do that, which I liked. Yeah, I liked France a lot, actually. I liked, I liked the costuming because at this point, it was the third 
dramatic black dress in a row. <laughs> and I was just like getting upset that this one was like, to me, it was the best one. One of the best dresses with like the jewelry was really great. I thought the makeup was really great. And like all of that being said, the France's um, stage presence was really great to me. Um, she was vibing. She was rocking. I also, I didn't have much of a problem with the vocals, but y'all have a slightly better ear for that. I was into it. Y'all both kind of speak French too, don't you? A little bit. Um, I, 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 yeah. I do, yeah. I don't speak French at all. And I, I don't speak almost any of the languages here. Like most of us, I guess. But I just went off vibes because of that. Like... Ellis and I have talked before about the fact that in my musical taste, I think lyrics are often the most important thing in a song. So when it comes to foreign language music and like going off of vibes, that's a little bit of a like a new thing for me. Or having I know what you mean, yeah, yeah, having like the the translation and like newly re relying on vibes is really interesting to me. And I just I liked her a lot. In terms of the lyrics, I can't really tell what it's about. Like, I'm looking at the French and the English together, and, like, I don't really know. Like, tu n'as pas où aller means you don't have anywhere to go. But, um, looking at the lyrics, I can't really tell what she's trying to say. But um, if, someone, if someone, like, gave me an interpretation, I could probably get into it, you know? So how do you think this one did? This one's really different from the, the two that we've already talked about, so I'm interested to see. Um, I want this to do well. I don't know if it will, but I want it to. Like I would, I would put it up there. I think it's the best one we've seen so far, but I, I'm not sure how that's going to translate. Thinking basically the same thing as Ellis. I really want it to do well, but I don't, I don't necessarily know that it will. Gotcha. Now we're going to song number four, which is Spain's Mikel Herzog with the song Que voy a hacer sin ti, which means what am I going to do without you? Um, I guess I'll start on this one. This this is probably my least favorite song of the entire competition. Really? Mm. I thought it was really unremarkable. He, I didn't really like his voice. I thought it was kind of annoying and nasally. And in general, I didn't think it was super strong. I think that, yeah, I think it was just kind of a weak, unsupported voice. The, ba the ballad itself is just, nothing is offensive about it, but it's really boring and I don't really see many choices being made. It's a very ballad by the books. I like his glasses. I think his outfit's kind of cool. He has this like long black trench coat. So I guess you could argue that he is also wearing a black dress. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all I have to say about this one. I don't have a lot of thoughts on it. This is one of those where like, I, the I, he's a better singer than this is a song. I don't 100% agree with you like on his voice. I think he can clearly sing. He hasn't been given an interesting song in the slightest but i don't think the fault lies with him at all and i i love his outfit too i he looks to me like a like a, an early communist thinker <laughs> he does yes. you're right especially um, the glasses <laughs> yeah 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 he actually 
gives me a little bit of the um, like whichever character plays the uh, communist um, intellectual and fiddler on the roof at a given time because <laughs> that that is a character of fiddler on the roof that has to get played yeah it's funny what did in, you think when in my notes the first thing i wrote was i feel nothing about this um yeah yeah, yeah. i actually i really disliked the costuming because <laughs> i have like a personal grudge against the style in which men wore suits in the late 90s and early 2000s but that's like a personal gripe i just think that like when it comes to suits they are better fitted or not at all. That, that is true. Yeah, like I, I don't understand why it's taken society so long to get back to the realization that suits are meant to be fitted. Um, it took a really long... And also, like, back then, the ties were enormous. Do you remember that? Yeah, the knots are, like, huge the and wide. The huge. Donald Trump still wears his ties like that, actually, but it, it was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah, I remember does. when I first watched um, Parks and Rec... And being so surprised about the character Ben Wyatt's ties because they weren't mm -hmm. enormous. Like, um, oh, but it was at this point in watching. I was also watching at like one or two in the morning at first. Um, and it was at this point that I thought to ask you guys how they pick the performers for Eurovision. It depends on the country, but um, they either have a like a live selection show where a bunch of different songs perform, and the people of that country vote for the song and then that's the song that gets chosen or sometimes a country will just choose a song internally and just choose one without public kind of deciding it for them i don't know how um, this one was chosen in particular okay so i was just like huh i wonder why the why the 18th century communist is here <laughs> like what why spain wanted to do that um but i'm sure yeah. like they had their reasons how do you think this one placed? Uh, I think it's gonna it's gonna end up in that sort of doldrums of not quite past the middle, but like not in the bottom. I think it'll place. I don't know why, but for me, I'm like thinking of this as like a men's versus women's game all of a sudden. Though I shouldn't, but like for <laughs> to me, this is like very bottom tier men's performance for 1998, and I I kind of agree with Ellis. Like overall, it'll be it won't be high for sure. We're now moving on to song number five, which is Switzerland's Gunvor with the song Las Ian. And before we get into it, we are going back to our second Controversy Corner. Controversy Corner. Ooh. Holy cow. They're coming right. fast and thick. I'm They're excited. coming hot on this one. Yes. On December 18th, 1997, Gunvor Gugesberg and her song Las Ian were chosen as the Swiss representatives for Eurovision in 98. Uh, and then the lead up to the contest, Swiss tabloids got a hold of um, topless photos of Gunvor and started rumors that she had worked in brothels and that she had racked up a lot of credit card debt from buying clothes that she could not afford. Oh, geez. And, and were any of these things true? Unsubstantiated, okay. from what I understand. Apparently, during rehearsals, she weeped on stage and suffered from a lot of stress due to the negative image that was being perpetuated by the Swiss media. And in general, Aww. I think the word was kind of out that people were saying all these things. So Terrible. this is not, we'll, we'll, we'll head back to this one later in the contest. We have more to say about Gunvor, but that's it for now. So uh, what did you guys think of the song? I'm a 
um, I'm uh, electric violin. Woo! And that is it. <laughs> I yeah, no, I liked the violin a lot. Hated her dress. It was the first. Oh, non- I hated her dress. It's the first oh, non-black dress of the I. night. I loved what? it. The okay, can, I, can just... I just say what I was gonna say about oh, yeah, it? Oh yeah, I'm so it's... sorry. No, 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 I wasn't. No, you're you're totally fine. But um, why I didn't like it was that it was like this weird, it, like the all of it was this weird glittery red sort of like maxi dress and then it had this for like the boob part it was a different fabric and a different color it kind of just looked look, look like her like bra was like out and then she wore this chunky black choker which i thought was a weird choice so i wasn't into that the song itself was fine it was perfectly lovely i liked the violin a lot and it was pretty catchy strong voice so can't really complain about the yeah. actual aspects of the song my uh, in in terms of the music, it's just like I there's nothing here to make it stick out aside from the violin, and it they end up I feel like leaning way too heavily on the violin as a like ooh we're the song with the violin because like the rest of it is eh, okay yeah sure this is fine but yeah what about you Quinn know how great I thought it was in quality but it like I definitely had an immediate positive reaction because it was a woman wearing a red dress and I was so excited and the violin was something different (laughs) like I wasn't thinking deeply enough to parse out that they just wanted to look special because of the electric violin but I think I think it added a lot and it wasn't like a gimmick exactly yeah. Um, I vibed. I vibed with the song. I thought so. The fashion choices. I was already happy that she wasn't wearing a black dress, even though she continued what would become a huge pattern of weird, short, curly hair. the The curly hair of ninth of the late nineties was interesting as a whole other. You could make a podcast about the yeah. about the curly hairstyles of the nineties, but <laughs> like I'm not defending the dress completely. I don't love it, and I actually didn't even really think about the choker until you said it and i think you're right the choker was kind of a mistake but i do think that as the late 90s were approaching the 2000s they were getting to the point where they were about to start making all of those incredibly weird fashion decisions which included like like in the early 2000s we always remember the jeans that people would wear like the strappy sandals that people would wear on the red carpet <laughs> like all just all those bizarre yeah. fashion choices and i do think that the evening gown with the boob like that i don't think that was unique to this time i think that that had happened before and they had decided that it looked good um for whatever mm-hmm. reason but so i admire the new nature of the dress and if i was that age in the 90s and I looked back in a yearbook and someone had worn this dress to prom, I probably would have been like, oh, not fashionable now, but she was cool back then. Yeah, yeah very 90s prom dress. Exactly, yeah. 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 I really disliked the the top bit. Like you said, it, it wasn't big enough to be like a full bodice, but it also was big enough to be too noticeable. And also, this is like a bit... It, approaching nitpick but there is a the patterning on it is like berries or something (laughs) yeah like i was reading it as strawberries i'm not sure what it actually was but there is one of them this is something that if the designer of this dress was on project runway they would get dinged for is that the way they've lined up the pattern there is a strawberry or something right right about where her nipple would be 
And so every time it was like a mid, the, at, at first there was like a mid range shot and I was like, wait, 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 is she just wearing a transparent top? Hmm. And it just like, I, I knew she wasn't, but it just kept like, wait, wait, what? Huh. Um, oh, I, yeah, I'm looking at it now and I can, I can definitely see it. I see what you're saying. I wasn't thinking so much about her boobs as I was like, wow, I think that's a nice detail. Um, I, I, again, I don't think it was a fashion, a fashion innovation, this dress at all. But I just disagree a little bit about the importance of the weirdness of the boob situation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So dress considered, how do we think this one might have placed? Um, I think this is going to be a little bit below middle, probably, or maybe a little bit above middle. It's not middle middle, but it's around there. Go with Alice on that. I think depending on what other people's opinions on the nipple dress were, like it could easily be low middle or high middle. That brings us to song number six, which is Slovakia's Katarina Hasprova with the song Modlitva, which means a prayer. The reason that I said I thought the last one wasn't going to be middle middle is because I think this is the ultimate middle song. Oh. I like, it's just like, okay. Yep, this is a song. It's happened. I have no reason to care, but also no reason to legitimately dislike it. This is the middle. I have legitimately no memory of what I thought was best and worst at 2 a.m. last night. And I probably, <laughs> I could have reviewed a little bit more, but I did write that I liked her a lot. I probably, I kind of do. I kind of, here's the thing. To be candid, I always relate to women with enormous curly hair trying to be, you know, bold, um, trying to be angry. So I liked her. She also reminded me of some music that I used to listen to that was described as Yiddish revolutionary music that Jewish people used to sing during World War II that this one musician is trying to bring back today. And very, very angry, orchestral, you know, Germanic-sounding, Yiddish-sounding music. She reminded me a lot of just... I, I know Slovakians might not want this exact vibe, but I appreciated the, uh, the this angry woman standing up for herself in a language that I do not necessarily speak. Like Quinn said, I think the instrumentation was really nice. It had, like... Like there was like this like harsh pizzicato on the strings and there was a lot of sweeping melodies. Um, and I thought the acoustic guitar was kind of a nice touch. One thing I wrote in my notes was that this was a much more successful version of what Greece was trying to do. I think because it was this- Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because it was this like vaguely rock adjacent ballad. And this one just had way more soul and was done a lot more successfully in what I kind of think of as contemporary for 1998. I also really liked the um, the lighting. The lighting was this kind of like 
dark blue and in general that the staging was really dark and it complemented the kind of like black outfits that everyone was wearing which i thought was cool and yeah i thought this one was overall pretty good if anything a little bit forgettable i guess i think it definitely had it wasn't super one note i don't think but i can see why it might be forgotten if that makes sense i guess i think that if seven if i believe that 70 percent of these women are trying to be madonna in some way or another she's doing a better job of it than most hmm. does, does that make sense like in terms of the song not not in terms of but like in terms of but just like, like personality attitude, and like yeah. presence yeah yeah okay i, I got yeah. you yeah um, yeah, I right, thought her stage so. presence was on up there with France. Yeah, she. I, I agree. She looked like she was having fun also. Like that she wanted to be there at the very least. So that's always a plus for me. Yeah. All right, so Ellis already kind of said that this is his absolute middle of the road. What did you think, Quinn? How do you think this one might fare in the contest? As we get deeper into it, and I remember how long this is and like how different, like how so much of this is just different shades of gray to me. I think she could be middle of the road, but I am awarding a lot of points for stage presence. And I think because of that, she is higher up for me. Alrighty. So with that, we come to song number seven, which is Poland's 16 with the song Totaki Proste, which means it's easy. Um, this was a lot, I'm going to say <laughs> it. Uh, I made a comment about the camera effect. I don't really remember them. Were there a lot of, like, weird bad camera effects? Yes. But the, to be fair, those were all over the show, where they apparently decided, ooh, we can edit with computers now? Let's do computerized uh, camera changes. It was like and the way we like, used to transition slideshows when we yes, were in, uh, like, fifth grade. I was about to say that same thing. PowerPoint presentations in the computer lab. You know, those, like, Macs exactly. with, like, the like the teal, like, huge box oh. behind them? Mm-hmm. Oh. And we all thought we were so that clever, one. too. Set animation to shatter. <laughs> yes, that is what Poland said to this song. And um, <laughs> that's kind of all that stood out to me. She had this hideous puke green dress on that... Oh, wait. Wait a minute. What? Oh, no. Did you like it? Well, I had, like, nostalgic positive feelings about Poland's performance. Um, First off, the intro to the song, if you go back, is exactly like the intro intro music to the movie Tangled. But you have to, like, go... Yeah, you have to go back and, like, check it. Um, I I would have to go back and check Tangled. Yeah. I also, I said I, I get the feeling that this is the only performer who actually knows her bandmates. Um, they're having a lot <laughs> of fun. I can see that, yeah. And again, like, so much of these performances to me have been about stage presence, and she's really jamming. And lastly, if I had, uh, I really, I kind of enjoyed it. I thought it was really new and fun, at least for the moment. If we were previously in an era of women, and like, what will go on to be um, women with big hair, singing ballads kind of somewhat sadly in black dresses or whatever this was like a new era of 1998 eurovision in which women in pixie cut women wearing pixie cuts were doing this thing that like actually happened a lot in the 90s at least to me 
in which like sort of female rock stars were saying I'm not like other girls and they were wearing like weirdly unfashionable silk clothing and um <laughs> like she what came to my mind was the band who did the soundtrack for 10 things I hate about you the movie and the band was called Letters to Cleo and they oh, like yeah. yeah and the band ended up like performing multiple times in the movie 10 things i hate about you and the vibe to me is just the same and it's very like w- women in rock bands deciding that they couldn't appear like other girls and i kind of liked the green dress for this honestly um i did too actually i thought it was nice yeah okay i thought it was <laughs> very again like late 90s early thousands fashion with the a-line dress and the strappy sandals and the the harsh the harsh hair but i think it worked for her and it was reminiscent of the very specific 10 things i hate about you julia styles sort of women's rock vibe yeah i definitely get that too and um in terms of like the sound i kind of drew some comparisons like natalie grulia Okay. And like Natalie Merchant in some ways too. So yes. it was kind of like, yeah, it was kind of like folksy and jazzy and easy listening e, but also kind of had this like, this like traditional Eastern European, also kind of like rock sensibility, which I, I appreciated definitely. Gave me making my way downtown vibes. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. I just admire her for being happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Yeah. Oh, and then the part where she was like, Yahoo! Yeah, yeah. Remember that? <laughs> also, there's a keytar. There's a keytar! Oh, that... <laughs> <laughs> like, I definitely would have... If there was a ni- late 90s version of me who was, like, you know, an adult or whatever, I would have wanted to be friends with this woman. I would have yeah. thought she was... I would have thought she was the bomb. What did you think of the song, Alice? Oh, per- perfectly enjoyable. <laughs> it's not my... It's not my style of music. So it's not going to be, it's not one of my favorites, but I do think it's, yes, this is good. I have, I have no complaints while listening to this. So I think I had one complaint and it was that the, the violinist in the band also provides backing vocals at some point and her voice is very off. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it was towards the end, but I mean, it was pretty minor. Yeah. If you had to rank or not, if you had to rank, but if you had to predict how this would do, how do you think it would? Uh, I think this is going to be a solid, like, seven. Just, like, nice. Up there. Positive. Good vibes. Yeah. But... really hoping that it's up there, but I could see it going badly for, for Poland. But I really hope she does well. Great. Good to hear it. So, um, next up we have song number eight, which is Israel's Donna International with the song Diva. But before we get to that, <laughs> we are taking our third trip to Controversy Corner. Yes, that's right. Controversy Corner. Ah, no surprise there. Yes, that is happening. Okay, so is Israel um, like always involved in controversy? With no, not always. This lady gives me Controversy Corner vibes. They all also, look the same, Ellis. Also, Terry Wogan was like, "Oh yes, there's been a lot of talk about this one." <laughs> oh, okay. So before we start, from what I have found, Donna International is. A wonderful woman with nothing but love in her heart, and I don't want it to get that. I, w- I don't want to get that twisted. Okay. But what? Um. So the, the situation was was that um Donna International was the first openly transgender performer at the Eurovision. Oh, but, okay. 
Yeah, and this drew a lot of controversy all over Europe, especially among um, conservative Jews in Israel and Israeli journalists who, mm. um, yeah, and about the journalists, Donna said, and I quote, Israeli journalists are the most arrogant and unpolite in the world. I wanted to give those journalists a punch in the face. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, in a documentary, um, oh yeah, the documentary that I watched, um, <laughs> this was really bad. Um, one of the security personnel was like asked about like, oh, what do you think about like the Israel song? He was like, there's a lot of hype around it. And then the person making the documentary was like, why? And he was like, I can't find the quote. He was basically just like, I can't say, but the next time you see her, watch her closely, which is like gross and transphobic. <sighs> um, and there was just this whole like, that's like all anyone wanted to talk about in the media, um, like to her and like nothing about her performance or her song. And in response to kind of the media's obsession with her gender identity, she said, this is a song contest, not a sexual contest. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So that's the that on Donna International. Okay. The controversy um, was nothing to do with really her, just how people responded to her existence. This is really interesting to me because, like, you, I could not have guessed that there would have been an openly transgender performer by 1998. Um, that... Yeah, that is crazy too, because I was, when I was um, researching about this, I was thinking about it in like, in like America, mm -hmm. I can only think of like one person that has entered like, mainstream America as an openly transgender person. Like I feel like, yeah. I mean, I'm probably not thinking of some others, but I feel like Laverne Cox is the only person that I can think of who entered the mainstream, entered, you know, like show business as a transgender person. Mm -hmm. That was like within the last like six or seven years, whereas you know in Israel like Donna International was an established artist and she started her career as a transgender woman. So it's interesting to think about how yeah, and how that is, was different in Europe as opposed to here. It's interesting too on the level like this is a powder keg already just because of the nature of Israel existing. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Israel is like one of the most simultaneously conservative and liberal countries in the world but the the fact that donna international was successful at the time and that she was being censored and put down by the media of her home state which was like something that would totally happen in america as well like to me it it automatically like draws a lot of um conversation about what's social justice for israel and israelis means yeah definitely and also Sorry. like one thing that's interesting no, no no that was really interesting and one thing that's also interesting to note is that you know donna international faced this much scrutiny and you know she's she's a transgender person who has had gender reassignment surgery and you know very much visually fits into you know, like the box that we tend to put women in and the things that society expects of women that um, a lot of trans people do not. So it, I think it's interesting to think about too, how negatively she was received and, and, and just how, how much she, she did everything that they asked her to, and she still wasn't enough for them. Yeah. How much she kind of conformed, not that she was like actively conforming to what people wanted her to be, but like just how much she fit everyone's vision of being a woman. And yet, she was under so much scrutiny still. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting to note, I think. And she was even, like, conforming. I don't know if this was her personal style or not, but she was conforming to the style of the time. All of the women 
were wearing these incredibly thin eyebrows and you know overdone lip liner and the weird like, like arm arm bracelet armband bracelets i love that um, yeah <laughs> yeah i love that style too i actually kind of want it back but even mm-hmm. even down to the dress she was wearing exactly what it seemed eurovision wanted her to wear to be whatever they thought a woman was you're right jonathan it's it's interesting that you brought that up because in the documentary a lot of it was focused on donna and um originally she was supposed to wear um this dress that kind of looked like a parrot it had um it was this black dress that had these um sleeves that had these like fake feathers coming off of it that were all multicolored, and it was a it was a it was like a famous designer i forget who it was but it was the same person who um designed like Cher's dress that she wore to the oscars i wouldn't be able to tell you but i would guess john paul gautier I mean, hold on let me look it up i'm actually i'm just looking up donna international right now wait don't don't though because you oh, might no. find out the results ah. and it was a gautier hey let's go yeah um and um she was gonna wear it on stage but um the person who hosts the documentary and like people from the Israeli delegation were like, it's too much. It's too much. Like, I think you just wear a normal dress that would get people more on your side. Basically like, like exactly you were saying. I guess my question is, do you think right now in 2020 Eurovision would be more accepting of broad new choices in how performers accept themselves? Got you need to burst. Or in uh, how they uh, not accept themselves and how they uh, present themselves. Here, I'm going to send you a link of the lady that won in 2014. Okay. Then X. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, no, I think that in a lot of ways they've proved that they are more accepting than they were before, but then you still also do see some things that, I mean, like, obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of societal acceptance, even kind of in this, like, accepting bubble of the Eurovision Song Contest. But, um, but yeah, like Ellis was saying, in 2014, there was um, a drag queen who won the entire thing. And I don't know, she um, she was very like what you would expect of a woman, except she had a beard. Okay. Which was really cool. But uh, yeah, I think there would be less of like kind of this like weird like media witch hunt almost if Anna International was the first transgender former Eurovision in like 2020. But at the same time, I mean, like, obviously, I think she would face some sort of back even if it wasn't the level that it was in 1998 okay thank yeah that's good insight yeah so we have how many thoughts about the song i thought it was a banger um oh, yeah i wrote down this is the correct uh this is the correct instrumental um this is what you should be doing in 1998 imo put a smile on my face i like i thought she was just a little bit off like there is just a little bit off about her vocals, but I think it was also like a mixing issue because for some reason it was uh, on this one. I noticed it in particular, the vocals were mixed way higher than the backing was. And it might just be the recording I watched, but it would, I think it would have benefited it to turn her down and turn the backing up a little bit. Not that she wasn't good, but just that it threw the balance off a lot. The backup dancers were <laughs> something. Also, there was a weird change up at one point. Uh, where it slowed down and then sped back up, and I thought it didn't need that. But aside from that, I thought it was good. That's my favorite part of the song when the, no. when it goes to like the slowdown, and then like <laughs> she goes like Eva, and she like moves her like arms in different poses. That's like uh, that's a good moment for me. Yes, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed 
the performance a whole lot. Love that for her. I want all the best. And um, I'm very sad. I'm very like nervous about what could happen in terms of the rankings later on because I want all the best for Israel. Yeah, I really love this one too. I mean, like Ella said, this is a bop. This is a vibe. And I feel like just everything was done really well. Um, I like the way that she looks. She talked about the bicep band and her dress. I love all that. I, I like how the song in general just kind of about like badass women in history. That was cool. Um, I think it's really catchy. I also noted um, the backing vocalist. I like their pantsuits. But also one thing I noticed is that there were three of them who were like also like dancing. And then there was just one that was like relegated to the other corner of the stage that didn't move at all. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and then I also noted that the voice was slightly shaky and not always where it needed to be but i don't think this is really a song that calls for an incredible vocal i think that this is a bop and that um a lot of good choices were being made all right so if that concludes our thoughts on kind of our general impressions of the song um do you want to move on to scoring yeah yeah so how do you think this one did all things considered i would put it personally probably second or third up there that said, I have no clue how it's going to do, particularly now knowing uh, Controversy Corner and c- taking into a thought the televote. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is personal top five for me, again, with a lot of anxiety about how it will actually play out. I see. All right. After Israel was Germany's song number nine, which was Gildo Horns, Gildo Hat Euch. No, Gildo hat euch liebe, which means Gildo loves you. And yeah, he does. About, he sure does. And before we talk about it, we also love Controversy Corner because we're going back. Oh, really? Controversy Corner. Is he creepy? Yeah. I think he's creepy. No. Okay. But um, so um, Stefan Rab, who um, wrote the song, entered German pre-selection for Eurovision 1998, which is called Countdown Grand Prix with um, Gildo hat euch liebe under the pseudonym Alf Eagle which was a parody of the name Ralph Ziegel, who is like a oh. Eurovision composer. And he had yeah. three, and he, um, Ralph Ziegel had three songs in the selection. And he had, I think at this point, written like over 10 songs that have made it to Eurovision. And apparently um, this really upset Ralph Ziegel and especially upset him when Gildo won and his songs came in sixth, seventh, and eighth. Oh. <laughs> Not super controversial, but I just thought that was funny. I haven't heard anything bad about Gildo himself. We had some brief discourse about this before we started the podcast, and uh, I, Quinn, what did you think about this one? I'm interested. Uh, okay, so. Like many of these songs, I think I might have different feelings about it if I knew the lyrics. For example, I did not know that the song is called Gildo Loves You. I imagine it's actually, it's like a very happy self-love song and I don't want that to be discouraged. And also possibly if this had been done by a woman or someone that, you know, looked different than him, I might have felt better in general, but I was, Inter- I was very uncomfortable with the performance purely based on how creepy I thought it was. 
Um, <laughs> just, I felt, and I honestly, I was a little uncomfortable with the way he approached people in the audience because if he had touched my face in the way that he touched the faces of people in the front row, I would have been angry. <laughs> that so, like, it's just a different point of view for me. I, I think he was probably putting out a very positive vibe. His lyrics were probably very positive and he was trying to have a good time. And also like, it was a very different and unique choice from almost everyone else. And I, as the person who's been saying that all of these performances are too much like each other, I should be more kind about that. But having like 60 year old men wearing like, you know, it, this sounds so judgmental, but it is gut level for me that this entire performance was like emotionally disconcerting. <laughs> and I think, I honestly, like, I think many other women might feel the same way about this performance. Just the gut instinct that a man who is approaching you or approaching a camera in this manner might not be safe. And that's all. I, that's all I've got. Yeah, no, that is totally valid. But um, I, I did really enjoy this one. <laughs> um, to quote um, Terry Wogan, right, kind of like before he went on stage, uh, he called uh, Gildo a vision in turquoise velvet, saying tur turquoise like turquoise. And um, I, I thought it was a really fun song. Um, his voice is honestly good. I, I just, it, he utilized the space really well. And it, and it made sense with the song. I liked when he jumped out into the crowd. I can understand how that's very off-putting. One thing that was funny though, was that um, towards the end, um, like the, the second time he jumped off into the crowd and he kind of like waved his sleeve at like someone, like, you know, that old lady, do you remember? Yeah. That was um, guest of honor, Katie Boyle, who had, who was like a, she had worked for BBC for like a million years and she um, had hosted the Eurovision Song Contest like three times before. Oh, okay. That's like a fun fact. But yeah, I thought this was a really dynamic performance. I liked when he like climbed onto like that like scaffolding thing at the end, and he oh like, oh my god, <laughs> and he like slid on his like stomach. And my favorite part though was when he walked up to the stage, and he there was this table that had a like a like a cloth on it. And then he like dramatically ripped it off, and there were cowbells under it, and he started just like ringing all of them. It was incredible. <laughs> I loved this performance I knew so you much. Would. Oh my this, god, this oh this was so good because it's like. This is this guy. I have no clue about Gildo, but the the guy who composed this and then conducted for the live orchestra, he clearly gets Eurovision because he was standing <laughs> over there with like wearing a t shirt, a semi buttoned button up shirt, and a semi buttoned tux jacket, ha laughing his ass off. And then that went in immediately into this fever dream of a performance with Gildo. Like over the course of it, he changed costume. He like removed a piece of costume like three times and the costume just got crazier every time. <laughs> um, and the, the, the cowbells were absurd because like, Oh yeah, we've got this weird cowbell solo. Let's get Gildo to do it. I love it. More singing. cowbell. Yeah, we need more cowbell. I love oh that Gildo God. is singing this entire song in the third person, which makes it <laughs> so much better. Because it could just be like, oh, I love you, world. But no, it's not I. It's Gildo. Gildo loves you. Ellis, and if you were a German pop artist, you would be Gildo. 
Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then like the leap up onto the balcony at the end, I was afraid for his life. I thought he yeah. was gonna fall off oh of that God. thing onto onto Katie Boyle or whoever. Like this was exactly what I needed out of this out of this show. I need more of this. I need more insanity and velvet and running around everywhere this was so so good i i this it's not gonna win but it won in my heart i know (laughs) i you know what like i feel a little bit better about this performance hearing your excitement and positivity for it um (laughs) like it, it does make me feel better and more positive for the world i guess what my counter to to any of that is is if you had like if he was like a children's performer he's at you know what he is he's a he's a children's performer he's like johnny karate um <laughs> like so like he appears in like a circus tent to sing at your kid's birthday he's a little creepy in that in that sense right like yeah um, absolutely yeah Definitely. so that's his personality and then if you if you actually put him in his natural habitat which is like comedy singer for birthday parties it is it is like that's where the creepiness comes for me oh my god I but just, i'm um, i'm also so, very excited about the positivity and the colorfulness there's just one more thing there's this one dude who comments on every single eurovision youtube video Mm-hmm. Like really? every single one. Yeah. Uh, it's like Chir Chirila Doran Alexandru or something. And they're they're like it's very strange because it, it seems like they're all copy pasted because they're all essentially the same thing. And it's often the only comment on the video. And this one just says, 22 years ago, fantastic song, romantic song, amazing singer, very good voice, great performance, marvelous song, even after so many years. And I just like <laughs> I think that's probably a bot, but the fact that even a bot called this a romantic song. I was about ah. to ask, like, do you, <laughs> did this put you in a romantic mood? I don't know. Quite the oh. opposite. Also, like, I'm at exactly the timestamp 235 in the video right now, just looking at the screen capture. Somebody is holding an enormous victory for Norway banner. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As he One like thing... as as what's his face like runs past. I'm sorry, Gildo. As Gildo runs, frolics. As Gildo frolics into the audience, that's <laughs> frolic. Yeah, there's there are multiple people holding up an enormous Norway sign. Yeah. Sorry. Um... A fun fact. Fun fact about um the backing band. Yeah. Uh, their name translates to English as the orthopedic stockings. I heard that. I wrote that down and I was like, wait, 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 what? Oh my God. Yeah, the this performance... is so good. This is so perfect. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot to this one. <laughs> kind of said that it was the winner of your heart, but not maybe not necessarily the contest, Ellis. What did what did you think, Quinn, about how this might place? Another one of those performances that could go very polarized. Um, yeah. it is not number one in my heart. <laughs> it's like 11 or 12 in my heart, maybe. And actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it was also 11 or 12 in real life. Well, we're, well, we're still riding the high of Gildo Hatwe Schliebe. <laughs> you have to move on to song number 10, which is Malta's Chiara with the song The One That I Love. I think. 
vibe the exact pain. opposite. Yeah. This is the exact opposite of Gildo. Um, this is how I found out that English is one of the official languages of Malta. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just I, I thought that this was really nice. In terms of the song, it, 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 it didn't make a lot of choices. It was very ballad by the book. But I think it was the best version, not the best version, but like a really good version of, you know, your standard regular ballad. I thought that the performance itself and the staging really elevated the song. I think the kind of like the low lights and the candles added a lot to it. I think that um, Kiara had a good stage presence and I think that she she, she um, had a really good voice too. So, I mean, it's hard to fault the performance itself. My main issue with it is just because of the song being kind of unimpactful. I said this kind of sounds like the song, a song that might be in a Broadway show or just a musical in general, but like, like you know, like the like low energy one that like everyone has, like the, the big ballad of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how I felt about that. Yeah, that makes sense. I this I love that this was right next to Gildo. Yeah. Because <laughs> these are just like, it's the two platonic ideals of Eurovision. The one, yeah. the Gildo is the fever dream, bath salts, insanity semi-joke song that it's also kind of a banger and then this one is the ballad mm -hmm. no other comments <laughs> but just like, yeah. capital B the ballad yes yeah. the ballad um but yeah this it was perfectly nice she was good it was a good song it was she had this good sort of like sheepish but still confident stage presence yeah that I think worked for the song really well so she did a good job of it. I, so like I think this is yeah, it's it's decent. It's decent. Still, probably nothing about the performance itself. It just <laughs> didn't hit me. I feel visceral anger towards whoever made her wear that dress. It um, is so unflattering. It is. Yeah. It's just. It's like insulting. Like honestly, it might have been a product of the nineties. We were, I was just telling y'all about my feelings about shapeless suits for men at the time. And this might have, you know, had something to do with it. But honestly, it feels like they, like the costume designers were looking at an array of beautiful dresses. And then they picked this one as like, as like a joke or like, I don't know. I'm just really, I'm suddenly very angry about this dress for her. Yeah, I think that, like, conceptually, a sort of, like, trench coat-inspired thing could work well. It's not executed well. Oh. So it's, it's, it's a shame, because, like, I wrote down, I can't tell if I like this dress or not. And, like, hearing your comments, it, I, I'm more aware of its weakness. But it, it feels like, it's unfortunate because it feels like a missed opportunity. Because it could yeah. have been good, but it's not. So actually, I think there's another costume later in later on in the evening that actually is like, here's what it is. There's another dress later on that does incredible justice to Hillary Clinton's style of pantsuit. <laughs> and this dress is done like does incredible damage to the image of the of the shapeless pantsuit. <laughs> the duality of man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The duality of the pantsuit. Okay. Um, interesting. How did you think this one might stack up for the others? 
I think it's going to end up in the top chunk. I think it was like, this is a good, well-sung ballad, and that's what Eurovision likes. So I think it's going to end up up there. For me, it's bottom tier, but I don't like. I don't know what quote Euro Eurovision likes. So, uh, like, I'll, I defer to Alice on that. And that's going to do it for part one of our two-part rewind on the songs, styles, and controversies of Eurovision 1998. We are moving the show from a twice-a-week release schedule to a once-a-week release schedule, so part two of this will be available next Wednesday at midnight-ish Pacific. Uh, If you want to check us out on the socials, you can follow us on Instagram at Eurovision underscore Rewind. Uh, And if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can go over to patreon.com slash vocabgumbo. Kick us a couple bucks a month and help support the costs of the show and the other shows in the Vocab Gumbo family. As well, all proceeds from the Patreon through the end of July are going to be matched uh, by each of us here at Vocab Gumbo. So that's 5X and donated to local Black Lives Matter charities. So if you want to help support the show and also help support charity at the same time, go check that out. Thank you for listening to the show. For Jonathan and Quinn and Millen and everyone else here at Vocab Gumbo, I'm Ellis. We'll see you next week.